our sister Mary and Moore went to be with the Lord. And she had a great, great impact upon my life, as did Charlie. Another man went to be with the Lord also. Dr. McGoldrick, he was one of my professors at Cedarville. I think one of Mike's professors, Mike's professors, uh, some of us who went to Cedarville. Wonderful man of God. And it made me think back about all the people who've had impact and shaped my life. Um, I thought some of the things I'm teaching today, they taught me 50 years ago. So I thank God for all of those people. Uh, This morning, I want to think with you about the character of God, but I want to do that in the context of the character of our country, the character of the culture that you and I live in, and how we should conduct ourselves in light of that situation. In an effort to describe the contemporary character of our country, Oz Guinness, a man that I read, recommend that you read him, said this, We live in an age drunk with its own heady cocktail of individualism, libertarianism, consumerism, and narcissism. We are convinced life is all about us. Our primary mode of operation is I, my selfie, and me. The current ruler of America is the unencumbered self, and the reigning ethic is radical autonomy. In light of that, I want you to think with me this morning about an absolutely unique being. So if you will stand with me as I read from Acts 17 to show our reverence for God as he speaks to us, I'll read verse 22 through 28. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and made everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Because he himself gives all mankind life and breath and everything. From one man he made every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of the poets, of your poets, have said, for we are his offspring. Father, we bow before you, and we do recognize and acknowledge you are the ancient of days. For some, you're still an unknown God. So we would ask that today you would be gracious enough to reveal yourself to anyone here who does not know you. 
for to know you is eternal life. For those of us you've revealed yourself to, we pray that you'll fill us with your spirit so that we can understand your truth, understand the way we should live for the glory of your name. This we pray because Christ is our Redeemer and Lord. Amen. Okay, please be seated. Now, I grew up, along with some of you, in an age when people walked around singing, humming, even some of us whistled the song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands. You remember that song, He's Got the Whole World in His Hands? He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got you and me, sister, in his hands. He's got you and me, mother, in his hands. He's got the little bitty babies in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. The present generation is growing up in an age in which people all around our country are screaming for absolute independence. They want independence from everything, even God. They abhor the thought of being held in his hand. They abhor the thought of being dependent upon him in any way. As they riot, from Seattle to Portland, down to San Francisco, across to Minnesota, Minneapolis, Chicago, on to New York. They have torn down statues because they abhor our history. They have burned police stations and federal courthouses because they hate our laws. They have even killed other human beings because they detest anyone who opposes them. But ultimately, all history is God's story. The original author of the law is the Ancient of Days. And every human being is an image bearer of God. So you see, when unmasked, foreseen for what it really is, The rioting is rebellion against the sovereign of the universe. It's thumbing your nose in the face of the Alpha and the Omega, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Their attempt to obtain absolute independence is an effort to escape from any association with God or dependence upon him. People like that are nihilistic. You say, Brother Dave, what's that? Nihilistic. They view all life as lacking in value. They think human values are baseless. Life is meaningless or worthless, and knowledge is something that's impossible. They're philosophical pessimists, and therefore they want to be absolutely independent of everything and of everyone. Their outlook leads to living as if life has no meaning or purpose. But in the end, it does not lead to the independence in life which they so desperately desire. That, of course, is absolutely impossible. If a person is completely isolated from God, it is impossible to live. Paul said in Acts 17, 28, For in him we live, in him we move, in him we have our being. 
As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. This means that without him, we have no life. Existence, possible. Authentic life, impossible. So you see, in the, in the end, the whole world really is in his hands. Now, as followers of Christ, as part of his body, you are not simply held in God's hands. You are the fingers of his hands. Imagine that. Fingers in the hands of the Almighty. Fingers which he is using to form and shape and mold his world. Fingers which he is using and will use to invite people back to him as you point them and point out to them that only God is truly independent for God alone is self-existent. God alone is self-existent. In Exodus 3, God interrupted Moses' quiet day of shepherding by stepping in front of him in the form of a burning bush. And he introduced himself to Moses by saying, I am who I am. By introducing himself to Moses in that way, God was telling Moses, nothing alters who I am. Nothing. Situations and circumstances may change. People may come and go in life. Rulers and human kings may rise and fall, but I am who I am. God is self-existent. He is not dependent upon anyone or anything else for his being. God's existence, his character, is determined by himself alone. It is God's nature to be. One theologian said it this way. He said, God is from himself because he has the grounds of his existence in himself. Now, God finished introducing himself to Moses that day by saying this. This is my name forever. That means we can move back as far as we want into history, back in time. We can move forward into the coming future and we will find that God is still self-existent. He is not dependent on any part of his creation for existence. Now, for you and for me, for all of us as dependent beings, God's self-existence is something which just kind of stretches our mind. It's absolutely mysterious thought for our finite, limited minds. So I'm thankful God's word explains it a little further for us. In Genesis 1, in verse 1, we read some very simple words, right? In the beginning, God. But we are immediately confronted with something extremely profound. For when everything was beginning, God was already there. He existed when nothing else existed. 
He was there before anything and everything else. He was and is antecedent to everything known. This clearly teaches us that God brought everything into existence, but nothing brought God into existence. And so the initial statement in the Word of God establishes a fundamental distinction between Creator and all of creation. Yeah. There's a distinction between us. It's impossible for something, you see, to create itself. The concept of self-creation is actually just a contradiction in term. It's a nonsensical statement. If we stop and we think about the idea of self-creation, we almost immediately realize that it's absolutely absurd. Nothing can create itself. Listen, not even God can create himself. For God to create himself, he would have to be before he is. And even God cannot do that. Every living being must have the ground of existence either in itself or outside of itself. For you young people that are still here in the auditorium, Brother Dave picked a plant for you this week. It was living, it was growing, it was beautiful green. And now look at it. Yeah, that plant, when it was in the ground, was alive. It was living. Taken out of the ground, it lost its life. Because the source from which it existed had been separated from it. As God's created beings... We have the ground of existence outside of ourselves, for we are created beings. God is not dependent in that way. God's self-existence is seen in the fact that everything which exists was made by him. So what have we learned so far? What we've learned is who God is and what God does reveal that he is self-existent. Moses confessed that in his prayer that's recorded in Psalm 90, and he said in verse 2, Before the mountains were born, and you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So God exists by virtue of his very nature. He never was created. He never came into being. He always was, is, and ever shall be. He is God self-existent and that is not true of us that's not true of anyone who exists in this world and so God alone is independent that's a big statement in this age God alone is independent Acts 17 24 and 25 The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by hand. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. The fact that God is independent means he does not need us or anything else in creation. As God speaks to us in Acts 17, 24 and 25, he makes it clear 
that he does not need anything from mankind. Now, because you sent Susie and I around the world to train pastors and elders and their wives, I talked to a lot of people around the world. And as I talked to them about God, I talked to them about man, and I talked to them about their relationship, many of those people will say to me, God created human beings because he was lonely and he needed fellowship and he needed love from other people. Now, you don't have to answer, but I want you to think about this question. Can that statement be true? You may have made it. That's why I don't want you to answer. Okay? What was my statement? They say God created human beings because he was lonely. He needed fellowship and he needed love from other people. Can that statement be true? If that statement is true, that would mean that God is not totally independent from creation. But in reality, he's dependent upon creation. It would mean that God needed to create people so that he could be completely happy, so that he could be totally fulfilled in his personal existence. Turn to John 17 with me. John 17. That's where Jesus prays that marvelous prayer. As God speaks to us through the scriptures, he makes it clear that this way of thinking that I'm revealing to you is way off base. In John 17, as Jesus is praying, he says to his heavenly Father, notice verse 4 and verse 5. He says, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Now, Jesus' prayer indicates that the Father and the Son shared glory together before creation. His prayer also indicates the Father communicated with the Son about the work he would do in the world. That's before the world began, by the way. Let your eyes move down to verse 24, and there you find Jesus praying, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. That portion of Jesus' prayer reveals there was love, there was communication, there was giving and receiving between the Father and the Son going on before any of creation came into existence. So you see, our triune God has enjoyed perfect love, perfect communication, perfect sharing and fellowship for all of eternity, long before we ever existed. Now remember this, write it down in your notes. It is true that God loves you. It's all through the Bible. It is not true that God needs you. 
okay? You need to think biblically as you move through life and communicate truth. What we must realize and come to understand is that God's being is something absolutely unique from anyone that we have ever known. It is not simply that God does not need his creatures or that he does not need anything in the created realm for anything. The reality is that God could not need anything in the created realm for anything. The difference between created human beings and the creator is absolutely enormous. It's staggering. God exists in a fundamentally different being than we have. The difference is not simply that we exist and that God has always existed. It's not that, no, no. It is also that God of necessity exists in an infinitely better, substantial, and more excellent way than we. One day I will die. The world will go right on. It'll be as if, some of you know Ray Tennant, our good brother. He said to me, Pastor Dave, never think too much of yourself. He says, because 15 minutes after you are buried, we're going to be back at the church eating potato salad and ham. (laughs) And you know what he's right, isn't he? The world is going to go right on without me. But it won't go right on without him, right? Yeah. So the difference between God's being and our being is more radical than the difference between, say, a teardrop and a tidal wave. It's more different than this little room that we sit in and the entire universe. It's more different than the sprinkles you little girls put on your cupcakes and the stars of the solar system. God's being is qualitatively different. So you see, we must never project or impose any any form of imperfection or limitations into our thoughts of God. He alone is creator. All else is creaturely. Everything else can instantly vanish from existence and God necessarily exists forever. Now to help you visualize this, I'm a, a visual learner. This is a visual reminder that I picked up some of those years ago at Cedarville. It's a reminder of what we're learning here. You see the, um, and if we, yeah, on the right here we see God, right? God is uncreated. He's independent. He's self-existent. Listen, no life support is needed for him. If you look on the other side, You see man, and you see the created realm. They're created, they're dependent. Life support is a necessity for all of creation and all mankind, right? Now, the gap in between is the being difference, the difference between our being and God's being. And listen, folks, When Marion crossed that bridge into God's presence, 
that being difference still remained. She didn't become God, okay? He's uncreated. He's independent. She still remains one of his created children and dependent upon the blessed Father God, right? Christ's redemptive work in us, Christ's redemptive work on our behalf makes us fit for that sacred space with God. Our essence will never be the same as God's, though. The creator-creature distinction is never, never erased, nor will it ever be erased. We will never have the same nature of being with God. We are designed for imaging. We are designed for reflecting, but never able to obtain the same essence. And that is eternally true. As one person said, God is species unique. So you see, what we've learned is that God alone is independent. And as I mentioned when we began, when you move away from our time of worship this morning, you go out through the doors and you go out into the world, you're going to encounter a world full of people who are adamant about declaring their absolute independence from God. And you will realize as you experience life with those people that they're all like this man who was experiencing life and climbing a steep mountain. He's on his way to to the peak of the mountain and suddenly he slips and he starts to fall. He's unable to stop himself and, and so he's sliding down this treacherous incline towards this cliff which plunges a couple thousand feet to a rocky canyon floor below. His life flashes before his eyes. He's sure he's about to fall to his absolute death. He's sliding and he's tumbling. He's going over the edge of the cliff and he throws out his hand and he manages to grab a hold of the root of a tree and there he hung. He had saved himself. He'd gained life. But soon he realized that no matter how hard he tried, he could not pull himself back up over the edge of that cliff to safety. And he realized that it was simply a matter of time until his grip loosened and he plummeted to his death. Now he'd always lived as an independent man. He had nothing to do with religion his entire life. But as he hung there, he realized that if he was ever going to be religious, well, now is the time. And so he looked up into the heavens and he cried out, is there anyone up there who can help me? Now, he didn't expect an answer. And so he's shocked when this deep voice calls back, yes, I'm here and I can help you. But first, you must let go of that tree branch. There was a long pause of absolute silence. And then the man looked up and he cried out again, Is there anybody else up there who can help me? Now you know what, folks? That makes a point, doesn't it? In the world in which we live, 
people are fiercely, fiercely independent. I was one, as were you. Some of you may still be. As we move out into the world, those are the type of people we're going to encounter. 7.8 billion people out in the world. And they're all fiercely clinging to their independence. As a person who God is using as fingers in his hands to shape this world, he's going to give you opportunity after opportunity to share with these desperate people their need to open their fingers, to release their grip on their independence, and by grace through faith, fall into the arms of Jesus. So I'm going to challenge you as you start this new year. Be as brothers and sisters, good fingers, in the hands of Christ. That's our responsibility. And I pray that we will accomplish that for the glory of his name and for the good of those he loves. Let's pray. Father, we are awed by you. Your word tells us that we could... um, get together a bunch of really good, intense Bible studies and study you for all eternity, Father, and yet not begin to scratch the surface of the magnificence of your being. Father, you are so far beyond us that we're amazed at this moment that we can call you Father. And it's only because of the redemptive grace that you gave us through Jesus. Reveal yourself to more that we come in contact with this year. Help us to be good fingers, pointing them away from their independence to dependence on you through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Work that for the glory of your name, Father, and we'll thank you forever. Amen.